0: Tales, more well established lesbian. Chapter 55. I bloody love a World Cup, me. Unfortunately, Wales haven't quite graduated to World Cup qualifying just yet. So it's about now that I become a reluctant and very half hearted England supporter. You know, the type who gives zero fucks if they actually lose, but will happily ride the wave of excitement around them if they do all right. Mostly, I'm impressed that I've resisted the temptation to buy the World Cup sticker book and play Got Got Need with my friends. I mean, is it even a World Cup if I'm not obsessing about getting all the shiny stickers? I don't know, maybe I am actually growing up just a tiny bit. Because everything's changing. moving forwards. Even Ashley, she has finally given up the house that we lived in and she's moving on. I'll pop over at her invite to check that there's nothing left there of mine. It's really weird seeing the place now, so totally hers. I can see the ghosts of us, the ghost of Gucci, running around, glimpses of this other timeline, maybe one that was or one that will never be. I'm sick at the thought that I've made the wrong decision. That I threw this whole thing away for what? To live with Paul and talk to weirdos on the bloody internet? Why am I even letting myself doubt this all over again? Because even if this is the worst decision I've ever made, I made it. And I'm living with it just fine until, well, you know, this all-too-real trip down memory lane. God, I need to get out of here. I can't breathe. I make up some lame excuse and I cut and I run. Ashley and I being friends and even being friendly is fine but it's got to be from a new place. Neutral ground. I mean not that it's even an issue right now. I know Ashley and I am mm, almost a hundred percent certain that she is seeing somebody right now. Clearly Tinder is working out better for her than it does for me. Interestingly, Tinder has revealed I do know a lot more bisexual women than I ever realised. Upside, yay, more women. Downside, more women who are into me. I mean, bugger. Or maybe they are, but like me, they have no idea what the polite thing to do is when you do come across your mate on a dating app. What I tend to do is not swipe and just close the app and hope the next time it shows me somebody new. And worse than having to decide if it's rude to swipe left on your mate is the parade of usual suspects you see every time you use the app. For me, it's the other butch or masculine women that I have found myself with in competition over the years. Whether that competition is real or imagined entirely on my part, These women would be, you know, like low-level bosses in the computer game of my life. Like Gina, who now does magic and tells people that on her Tinder profile. I mean, fair play to you. Shame she just hasn't quite learned how to disappear yet. But when Bob's face pops up on my Tinder, I can't decide if I want to throw the app away or the whole damn phone. Oh my God, the ugly, lying, disloyal twat. Never mind swipe left, I want to report her for being a douchebag. I block immediately because, ugh, Bob. Turns out all these years later, I'd still very much like to punch her in her face for running around behind my back with Ashley. Plus, Bob's just got one of those, you know, really punchable looking faces, so it's not all on me. In amongst all the madness, I have found one girl who can hold a conversation and seems to have an actual sense of humour. So, of course, she lives nowhere near me and neither one of us has transport right now. Still, nice to know there's some potential there. My online dating woes keep the fabulous seamstress at work quite amused. Not only does Susie have a great sense of humour, but she's a wizard Harry. Well, when it comes to sewing anyway. You know how some people are just so lovely that they actually look it? Right, that is Susie. I tell you, she is a genuine and actual pleasure to work with. Especially as in true me fashion, I have got myself in at the deep end. I mean, if you join a wedding-based business at the end of May, you really ought to be expecting bedlam. I tell you, it has been a fascinating six weeks or so. First up... I now know why tailors and other people like them wear the tape measure around their neck. It's not so they can be like, oh, look at me, I measure stuff. No, no. It's because you will put that bugger down and you will never, ever be able to find it again. You'll probably have hung it on a pair of trousers that you've put back in a rack of thousands. Secondly, wow, what a window into the world of straight weddings this is the dynamics of the groomsmen, the whole family and in-law-to-be drama. Oh, seriously, you should be picturing me rubbing my hands with glee because, oh my God, I am. There is so much potential for drama in this place. Someone cancels a wedding. Oh, oh, we need details here, people. Find out what happened. And I'll tell you, the sales girls always do their best to come through with the gossip. And in case you were wondering, Yeah, men actually do lie about their sizes as much as women. Weirdly though, they actually tend to think they're taller than they are. Or, you know, bigger in the chest than they are. Bless them. And why? yes, these are sweeping generalisations based entirely on my own anecdotal evidence, but still. Also, I've got questions for anybody who has more than eight groomsmen. Like, first up, why? And second of all, Do you know how much money that is? That being said, I have already experienced one or two bridezillas. So maybe it is wise to have a platoon of groomsmen, you know, safety and numbers and all that jazz. To be honest with you, the job is actually dead simple and I'm loving that about it. I love seeing row after row of the neatly hung tweed suits know coming into our little warehouse in the morning just as my boss has finished hoovering because there's fluff oh my god is there fluff there is so much fluff we're drowning in it but so far every tuesday there is also pizza thursdays and fridays we quite often bugger off down the pub i've even started enjoying my commute and i found that i've been missing doing a job that's actually full of manual labor turns out three-piece tweed suits do weigh quite a bit, you know. The dry cleaning run is no small feat. But a Friday though, getting all set up for next week's weddings and dealing with all the groomsmen who swore that they were a 38 inch waist and we've clearly sent them the wrong size. Uh Uh-huh. Of course we did, (laughs) Dave. But this Friday morning, me boss wants a chat. And for the life of me, I can't think of a single thing I've fucked up, but I'm still bricking it. Because it's me boss and he wants a chat. And now he's saying nice things and I'm just waiting for the bot. It doesn't come. What I get is a so instead. As in, so, we've decided we'd like to make you a permanent member of the team. Oh. Oh, this is good. Like, this is really good. Because, you know, I like these folks and I am loving being part of a local business. You know, they're all independent and that. I look over at Susie and grin, because, you see, we don't actually have an office at our warehouse. We've just got a couple of sofas and a fridge next to a sink. I sat on this sofa for my interview with Susie, ear-wigging away while she hemmed trousers. Apparently, Susie's sign-off had been vital in my getting hired, and I suspected that was true once more. You're stuck with me, I say to her. Well, I mean, you did say in your interview that you'd make yourself indispensable, True. I did say that and I am very glad that I have lived up to those promises because I do lot like to make myself useful. God, I can't tell you how pleased I am about this. It feels like I've got like a stick in the ground, you know, Boomf. something to base other stuff off. Ah, oh, We are going somewhere now people and all because this suit company had a job going. To be honest, between you and I, I only really applied for the staff discount and because I think their branding is gorgeous. Yeah, I know, sometimes I really am that simple. And sometimes, like right now, it works out for me. I think I'm gonna be pretty happy here. The husband and wife team of owners seem pretty decent and I can't help but be impressed of what they've built. Not to mention, everyone is totally okay with addressing me by my surname. It's a little thing, but it makes me feel so much more like me. It was always a bit hit and miss at my last job, especially the further up I got. I'm loving just being able to be totally and utterly me at this place. And you know what? There's only one real way to celebrate this in true butch style. I'm gonna go get myself a haircut. And seems as we're having a heat wave, it's gonna have to be a skin fade. We've got a new barber shop in town, I say a new barber it has been around for a year or so. I've only been in it once or twice because the queue is insane. Like, lose four hours of your life. Insane. But my God, do they do a beautiful skin fade. I mean, they ought to. It takes forever. So with all my jobs done for the day, my boss kindly lets me skype off early to take our residence on the barber's bench. There are two in the chairs and there are two ahead of me. Hi. Right. We could be in it, people. Might only be a two hour wait today. What a win. My luck continues and I only waste an hour and a half of my life before I'm actually in the chair, feeling the straight razor cold against my neck. The barber holds up the mirror for me to admire his handiwork. And, fair play to him, it is a beautiful skin fade. There is not a single hair out of place. Not even by a half a millimetre. There is just one slight problem. Uh, it's been a while since I've had a haircut, and um, in that time I've kind of caught the sun over the last couple of weeks. So my usually pale and uh, interesting Welsh look has been replaced with a very healthy looking tan. Except for, you know, under my hair. So my head is so damn white it actually kind of glows like my hairline. Oh, God, it's like I'm back in year nine of school before girls learnt to blend their foundation in at the jawline instead of just stopping it. (laughs) Does fake tan work on your head? I don't know, just saying, I'm obviously not asking for a friend right now. (laughs) Oh, if all else fails, maybe my head will get me a few laughs at my stand-up gig. You know, that test run I did the other day at the social club helped me so much with editing my script and, you know, adapting my delivery. So I figured what I'd do is I'd do it again, but I'll bring a few of my old pals in down the pub, right? Because I want to run the new version by some people. And I'm slightly hoping that, honestly, somebody talks me out of this whole thing. Because there's only like a week or so now until I've got to get up and actually do this for real. And the closer it gets, Well, the crazier it seems, because sure, we've discussed this. I can make people laugh, you know, every now and again, but at a minimum of a chuckle every 30 seconds, I don't know. That seems like a lot of pressure or say by some miracle, I do come up with 10 funny minutes and I manage to like string them all together. What happens if I forget it? You know, just stand there sweating blankly in front of a crowd of people. these are just one or two of the thoughts that are roaring around my head as I commandeer a section of the pub for my mini comedy review. People start showing up and I swear to you it is the weirdest mix of my people you have ever seen in your life but god love them all for their support. We create ourselves a little circle. I'm wondering should I get up and deliver this properly you know like actual stand-up style but that feels a bit much and honestly I'm so self-conscious right now I tell you what we're gonna do, what do actors call it? You know, a table read. That's what we're gonna do. Suddenly, my mouth is drawn on Gandhi's flip-flop and I feel sick as a dog. And these are my friends. How the hell am I gonna get through this on the night? And it doesn't help that despite themselves, my friends have like an air of trepidation about them. I guess we're all a bit nervous here tonight. Over the next ten minutes, they genuinely laugh. Someone snorts a shit, you know. I already know how I'm going to fix some bits before I even get to the end of this. Bless them, they give me a round of applause. Johnny likes it too. I'm not sure what was funnier, to be honest. My set or watching him deal with my extraordinarily eclectic mix of friends. What, well, mate? You've got to appreciate him. And his little nod of comedy approval carries more weight than he realises. Which is great because this, yeah, this feels like the point of no return because, like, everybody knows about the gig now. I cannot bottle out. Which means i probably best tell me mum and dad that I'm uh, going to do this. You know, this being get up and tell a load of jokes that are very um lesbian-centred, shall we say. Poor buggers. They just can't catch a break with me, can they? I just imagine my mum sitting around with her sisters listening to all the grandkids talk. And here I am, trying to make jokes, not babies. To be fair, I'm not sure she's that asked about grandkids, but I reckon she wouldn't mind not dealing with this whole comedy bollocks. I call them up and I tell them. My mum just says, oh, okay. Think she might need a little bit of time to process this one. My dad outright laughs at me. All right, he says, that's brave. Sounds an awful lot like he meant to say stupid and not brave, but regardless, Both of them are super supportive, despite whatever reservations they have. Surprised, and not sure why I'd want to do it, but supportive. God love these two. I'll never not be glad I got them in the parent lottery. With mum and dad forewarned, if not forearmed, I can relax a smidge. And I do just mean a smidge. I'm taking this weekend off. I'm giving myself a break from, well, myself, frankly. Somehow... Two years have passed in the blink of an eye and it is town festival time all over again. This time I'm dragging Paul along. Phoebe and Marco come out, Ashley joins with Erin and everybody brings a bunch of other folks and everywhere you go you bump into people you know. In our little group the picnic blankets are breeding like bacteria and everybody's got space to lay back on this scorching July day soaking up the sun, feeling the music and just enjoying the good time. And when I say scorching, I mean it. thirty degrees is a bit much for most Brits. I am not most Brits. Being the cold blooded lizard that I am, I bloody love it when it's this hot. I just need to find a nice rock to lie out on. It is that hot that even my humble boobs are sweating. And the sight of all these lads walking around shirtless, or at least with it completely undone, is irritating the hell out of me the legality of our nipples is the only thing that differs between us if a lad does it it's summer if i do it i'm outraging public decency or it's indecent exposure by the way to get the upgrade to indecent exposure the offending nipples must be free of clothing and clearly visible to at least two other people side boob is deemed increasingly acceptable I do like to stay current on boob regulations. Given that this festival that we're at attracts anywhere between 150 and 250,000 visitors, the upgrade seems like a strong possibility. And let's be honest, a town event like this brings all the Facebook complainers out. Oh my God, that free festival is too expensive. All I could do is smell weed everywhere. How come everybody's left so much rubbish afterwards? Now, some of these are good points, right? It's just odd that the people who are always making them never actually seem to be the people involved in doing anything about anything. They just like to complain. And I don't need to start a whole thing about the decency of the town lesbian population, quite frankly. I'm too hot and boob sweaty to be dealing with any of that. And I just want to be without my bra, my bikini top. I'll keep my shirt on, that seems wise. You know, sunburn is never fun. What to do about the nipples though? Like maybe I should just take my chances and hope the shirt sort of covers enough. 30 seconds of dancing with Erin says that that's probably not gonna work. And then I remember that I am always prepared for every situation. And I'm not about to fall at this hurdle. I dig out my first aid pouch from my rucksack. The answer to my problems a small roll of plaster tape. And of course I've got scissors, obviously. X marks a spot. And now my nipples too. I am legally topless. Someone call Reese Witherspoon. I'll tell you though, I'm going to have sticky nipples later. But that underboob breeze, oh my god, it is so worth it. Seriously. We have to free the nipple one day. This feels so good, I tell Paul as we wander across the field to the portaloos. I can't help twirling. Like, it feels so good. Oh, my God, feel the breeze. This is amazing. And it turns out, walking around with tape on your tits is quite a good conversation starter. The red-haired woman catches my arm and tells me she envies me right now. We drop into a conversation and discuss all the ways she could possibly rework her summer dress right now to achieve a similar level of freedom all of this while she waits for her friend to come back now i'm giving this woman my best chat and she seems both interested and not interested like she doesn't hate my work but it's just like not for her but in a really nice kind of way it makes no sense at all but i absolutely know that this woman will never go on a date with me but she doesn't hate me angling for her. Oh well, sometimes the back and forth is just fun. Her friend finally comes back and she is a ridiculously tall blonde bombshell. I mean, like legs all the way up to there. Way too tall for me, if I'm honest. But I do know a man who will be very taken. Best mate ESP activated and working beautifully. I see Paul now coming towards us. I make the introductions, Paul focuses in on Legs Eleven, and the redhead and I continue to chat, you know, best we can whilst totally earwigging on the heteroes in action. If I have crashed and burned, Paul is vaporised in mid-air. She wasn't having a bar of it, or him. We're stifling chuckles over it and failing to pretend that we are not listic. I do at least manage to get the redhead's name before Legs Eleven drags her away. Give me a shout on Facebook, she says. Ah, maybe I was wrong. Maybe she would fancy a drink with me. Spoiler alert, listeners. She didn't. We never went for a drink. She also never got involved in multi-level marketing, so, you know, we're still silent Facebook friends. Paul can't quite believe he just got dismissed so hard. And I can't help but laugh. And laughing does help. Paul's kind of over it by the time we get back to the group. However, we've broken Phoebe just a tad too much gin and sunshine. So she's having a little lie down. And of course, naturally, we decide to take some group selfies with Sleeping Beauty, which draws the ire of some lovely concerned citizens. Once we've managed to explain that one of our group is actually an intensive care nurse and he's keeping an eye on her and that her boyfriend Marco is also here and is also looking after her, they calm down a little bit. I mean, it kind of restores your faith in humanity even if it does mean that we probably shouldn't play that game now where, you know, you see how much stuff you can balance on top of a passed out Phoebe. For sports, sports. Phoebe's second wind is hella impressive, and I'm a little bit sorry to leave them all behind after such a good day. It was even almost normal between Ash and I, like no weirdness or anything. Maybe her dating someone helps with the whole boundaries between us. I do. I like the lack of weirdness between us. It feels like less effort, like less taxing. Ash, it turns out, is coming to my gig to support me. She's just got to do a thing beforehand. I really hope she doesn't bring her date. I'm sure she's dating somebody. Can you imagine if she brings her? Like, it's not that I don't want her to be happy with someone else. I just don't really want to see it. Do you get what I mean? And I sure as shit don't want to see it at 9pm next Saturday night. I really need that not to happen, I tell Paul as he drives us home. Tell Ashley that, then, he says. All right, smartass, I bloody will. The car falls silent because he knows I don't like it when he tells me the thing I already know but I'm trying to avoid. I mean, I don't like it now, but give me 15 minutes and I'll be all right with it. Plus, it's easy to forgive him as we drive home in the convertible. It's the one utterly perfect British summer's night to have. A convertible to have the roof down at midnight. I mean sadly the car is a 500 quid banger that does actually look a lot better in the dark but it's doing the job right now. As my dad always says a third-class ride is much better than a first-class walk. Paul's never-ending engine saga has been going on and on. I've totally lost track of how many engines he's bought, he's sold, that have not been delivered To cheer himself up, Paul decided if he had to have a run around for the summer, he might as well make it a fun one. And to be honest, right now, best idea he's ever had as I lean my head back and look up at the night sky. I'm going to talk to Ashley tomorrow. I'm sure she'll get it. Can't imagine she'd be too chuffed to see me out with somebody else. It's Derby Day tomorrow, and I know I'll see her there because, well, guess who's the new announcer for her team? I mean, it is all good. They had checked with Ashley first, and I'm glad she's really cool with it, because this, this is officially the highest ranking game I've called so far, and there are medals on the line in this one. I realise that Ashley is playing, so I decide it's probably best to talk to her after the game. I don't want to mess up her focus. Right, so that's it. That's my game day plan. No hangover, no sunburn, even my sticky nipples are not too bad. Game day is upon us. I'm going to love game day as an announcer. Sure, I'm still nervous, but I'm more nervous that I'll slip up and say something offensive rather than nervous I'll wake up with a limb in a cast tomorrow. You know, slightly different levels. Teenage me thinks I'm a wuss. Current me, I hurt my back sleeping funny, so it's kind of okay with the wuss label. Now, I have been bringing a level of dapper to my announcing outfit, and now we've got a game day with medals on the line so it feels like it deserves an outfit suitable for such an occasion but it's going to be like a million degrees in that sports hall this is not a day for a three-piece suit to be honest i'm not even sure it's a day for a waistcoat i don't think i could bring myself do up a top button on a shirt let alone don a tie my box fresh white trainers are sitting there staring at me and they give me an idea. Tuxedo trousers, my lovely white trainers, my dress shirt, as undone as I can go, without outraging public decency <laughs> and the bow tie draped around my neck. That end of night look from the very get go. I try it all on, and as I look in the mirror, I see the faces of the girls from that nightclub toilets. I remember fleeing from them, from myself. I remember how it made me want to give up on being me. How I wished I could assimilate. Being broken hearted that I'd finally gotten up the nerve to wear this outfit only to have it all come crashing down. I've never worn it since. Well, now I've remembered all that I've got to wear it, haven't I? Plus. I'm not going to lie to you, I look pretty handsome in this get-up. So it's staying on. All I need is a half a can of hairspray, because this quiff is not going to survive convertible life. It's a stonking day at the Royal Derby. Ashley's team take the win in a big way. Both them and me were earning ourselves quite a decent reputation. I wonder if I might be able to join them in the top tier next season. I fancy a bit of that, announcing the best teams in the country. I would fangirl her so hard. Fact. With Derby done, I grab Ash for a quick chat. You know, very chill, very nonchalant, as I mentioned. that I realise she's dating someone, and yay for both of them. But can I just check? You're not going to bring her to my gig. The short answer is no, she's not. I wish I was getting the short answer because Ashley is going on and on about the details of the date they will be having right before my gig, though. I know I shouldn't, but I can't help but wonder who the mystery woman is because those sort of details are conspicuous by their absence. There is a lot of detail about dinner, though, like menu-level detail. Ash being weird and nervous about her date has me curious. You know, to a point. Because I know I don't really want to know. But at least she's not bringing her. And that is one less thing to have to worry about on the night. Which I'm glad about because Betty's boyfriend Clyde has offered to film my set for me. You know, preserve it for posterity. So good or bad, he's going to capture the whole thing. Now, all I'm doing on every commute is trying to learn my lines. Over and over again, I repeat them to myself. I record myself and then I listen to it like it's the first single I ever bought. I am almost, almost numb to the grating sound of my own voice inside my brain. Susie is my saviour. She is keeping me distracted at work and humouring my endless what to wear discussions. I wanna be funny, not look funny. Working where I do now, a suit had been the natural and obvious choice. But after trying on every 34 short jacket we had in stock, I was bang out of luck. Nothing fitted. How about just a waistcoat, Susie suggests. Because she can make one of those fit me like a glove. We get the nod from the bosses and Susie sorts it all out before I can get back from lunch. The rest of my outfit falls into place when I get home. I throw on a white Henley t-shirt underneath the waistcoat, black skinny jeans, brown boots and a brown belt. Picking up some of that colour in the grey tweed waistcoat. I have absolutely nailed it. I look very me, very confident, and it will allow me to pull off one of the more physical aspects of my set. Now, all I need to do is feel confident. God, if I could just believe people when they say they believe in me. I say all of this though, I must believe in myself, because otherwise I wouldn't be here, would I? I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have got this far. Never mind be worrying about my outfit and my hair now. No panic on the hair front. Between uh, a nice tan and some regrowth, I will not be glowing on stage with my shiny white head. Now, I've talked to you before about how much I love the validation that comes from my friendship with the boys. The male aspect of validation that I get from the likes of Johnny and Baz and Clyde. But the quiet confidence that's actually gotten me to this point today has come from the group of women who've been building me up since the day I met them and in fairness I actually only know these awesome lads because of them you know good people attract good people after all and they're going to be there on Saturday night of course thank god because they are literally one of the best support systems you could ask for and between them they've got quite the range We go from caring, nurturing, therapy style, all the way through to no-nonsense, tough love when you need it. Whatever you need, these guys have you covered. I hope I impress them, but if I die on stage, at least I'll be with my mates. One day it'll just be another funny story. Uh, You remember that time you tried to be a stand-up comedian? Lol. Team on us, one day, and I get my first look at the venue. Ooh, we've done all right here. This couldn't be more different than a dark, sweaty basement room. The stage is set out in a beautifully landscaped garden. Hay bales for the audience down the front. Damn, this is like a proper professional setup. I walk past the theatre on my way at home. I mean, I never even knew I had those gardens out the back. And then I see it. My name on a poster. Okay, so my name has been cut out of a couple of sheets of A4 and it's been sellotaped on and the time of my performance is wrong, but oh my god, my name is on a poster telling the town that I am a comedian. Oh, you know I'm taking a selfie with this bad boy. I head for home, bouncing, but then have the worst night's sleep of my life. The nightmare with the mob and the pitchforks was probably the worst one, and I'm going to blame the hay bales for that particular narrative. Saturday Arise... And suddenly, time decides to go extraordinarily slowly. Oh it is, I've been in some high pressure situations. I know that nerves are good, they mean you care. But too many nerves and you'll choke. And I have got all of the nerves right now. All of them. Those are not butterflies in my stomach. It's a nest of rats trying to gnaw their way out. By the time I get to the venue, I think I might actually pass out, seriously. These are the worst nerves I have ever felt in my life. I can barely speak as my wonderful friends start to arrive. Even my bosses have come out. As much as I love and appreciate their words of encouragement, I can't hear them right now because they might make me forget some of my lines. I spot a quiet corner, I slope off and spend the next ten minutes just trying to calm the fuck down. Unsuccessfully, I might add. There are now five minutes until I'm on. The MC runs his intro by me. It makes me sound so good, and totally not like a person who's going to faint on him. He's worried, and I would love to reassure him, but he's probably right to be. I've got shooting pains in my arms, my heart is going like I've just done a couple of grams of coke, I can't feel my feet, and I would really, really like to be sick right now. Oh God, he started my intro. <sighs> If I look down, I can actually see my hammering heart and I'm looking at Betty as though my time is up and I am being called to the gallows. She tells me, I can do this, as Whitney Houston sings in the background about wanting to dance with somebody. I mean, not what I'd chosen, but not the worst tune to walk the green mile to. And then he says my name. I'm on. Bless them for cheering, optimistically, like something good's about to happen. Okay, breathe. Let's try and get the mic off the stand, because we're going to need to be able to pace this energy. Pick up the cable, pick up the cable. Do not fall over the cable. Dusk is almost done, and I can't see the audience beyond the first row. God, those lights are so bright. Okay, breathe. Breathe and say something. I start my set with some local humour. You know, how we're better than that shit old town down the road. And I get a few generous laughs. With each line, I breathe a little deeper. And I get a little braver. I'm starting to feel it now. Lean into it. Use my physicality because my muscles have started to relax as they keep on laughing. The first big joke is coming up. Please let it land. For the punchline, I need to roll up my sleeve. Because that's where I've written it. In big black marker pen. Except... I haven't actually practised this with a microphone in my hand. But it actually works even better than I'd rehearsed. Because not being able to talk during the punchline reveal gives it way more impact. And there is plenty enough laughter to give me time to really play up my body language. Oh yeah, we are getting into this now. I am loving it. I'm starting to feel it. And then, bam. Just like that. I have no idea what my next line is. oh, Oh, God, I've got nothing. Completely blank. Like, so far, I've just sort of been falling through my script in my head, just catching each line as I go, and now nothing, not a handhold, nothing. Not a bloody clue where I was going with this. Not even a bloody clue what I actually just said. But I've got to say something. So, yeah, um... I am all about filler noises, as my mind is searching for anything I'm supposed to say in this second half. And then my free fall is halted. I've caught a line. Thank God. Carry on, as you were. Don't worry about being embarrassed now, you dickhead. Just close it out strong. Make them forget that you forgot. They don't need to know. They don't know what you were going to say. The relief at refining my place spurs me on. And my biggest problem in the second half is actually waiting for the audience to stop laughing. I mean, what a problem to have, eh? I would have prayed for a problem like this. And then before you know it, it's done, it's over. Thank you and good night. The sound of their applause is making me cry. All right, maybe just having survived it is making me cry, but I am crying, like happy crying, but crying nonetheless. All that tension is releasing through my face. But I do start to dry my eyes and I begin to celebrate. Because tonight, I don't even care that it was a home crowd, that a lot of my people are here, you know, showing up just to support me. I already know they're a little biased, right? And I'm prepared to take their well dones and their you're so good at this with a pinch of salt. But not in a mean way. You know, this is what you do for your friends. You big them up. It's just sensible to remember their bias, I think. Except that none of this lot can hide their shock or their relief that I didn't actually suck. I'm properly chuffed at how many people were terrified for me tonight and I'm even more bloody chuffed that it turned out they didn't need to be. I mean, I know what they mean and how they feel. It's like when you go along to see a mate's band and hope that they don't suck because you don't want to have to tell them those little white lies afterwards. It could be really awkward if they are terrible. I'm glad I wasn't. More than a few folks are very comfortable telling me that they actually came for a car crash and can't quite believe I've pulled it off. But when complete strangers who are in the audience come over to talk to me, I'm buzzing. They ask me how long I've been doing this and no one, and I mean no one, believes when I tell them this is my first time. the biggest compliment in the world this night cannot end i need it to continue because i will not be coming down for days seriously i feel like there's nothing i can't do right now bring on the whole bloody word. i'll make them all laugh all right all right i've had a few drinks at this point but you know what i think i'm gonna give it a go because this feeling this feeling right now It's pretty close, I imagine, to how David felt when he fucked Goliath up. And I wouldn't mind some more of it. Now, hello, you beauts. Hope all's going well for you. I appreciate you joining me for another chapter. Now, I know we've talked before, but if you have been enjoying the show please consider donating or subscribing. You can do this from as little as one pound a month. That's like 25 pence per ad-free chapter. A bargain, if you will. If you can help towards covering the show costs, please head towards ko ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash well-established lesbian right now. Don't forget, you don't need to put your hand in your pocket to support the show. You could leave a review, leave a rating or just tell someone else about it or tell everyone else about it whatever you do it all helps people to find the show so thanks now by the time this chapter goes out I will be getting ready for my first day at my new job and it is a big shiny new job that I am very happy about so please do keep your fingers crossed for me won't you Oh, God, I hate being the new much. I'm so nervous. But don't you worry, I won't forget about you. I'll be back next week with another chapter. Time for a bit of drama, don't you think? Find out how much drama next week. Thanks, as always, for the privilege of your time. Whatever you're up to, take care of you.